بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور أنفسنا ومن سيئات أعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له وأشهد أن لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له وأشهد أن محمدا عبده ورسوله أما بعد فإن أحسن الكلام كلام الله وخير الهدى هدى محمد صلى الله عليه وسلم وإن شر الأمور محدثاتها وكل محدثة بدعة وكل بدعة ضلالة وكل ضلالة في النار uh, So this is our fifth and final lesson on this uh, treatise of uh, Sheikh Al-Allama Rabi' ibn Hadi al-Madkhili Hafzahullah Ta'ala and the subject is the hadith Qudsi Ya ibadi inni harramtu dhulma ala nafsi an explanation of this uh, hadith. So in the previous lessons, uh, we went through the first six or seven, or the first six segments of the hadith, as we mentioned that in this hadith, there are 10 separate segments. And each of these segments, you find that they highlight aspects, a particular aspect of the tawheed of Allah Azza wa Jal. And we'll come back to this point, inshallah ta'ala, when we come to the end of the, you know, end of the, uh, today's lesson, inshallah ta'ala. Um, since we, since it's been a number of weeks uh, for our previous lesson, I'll just quickly go through uh, the main points that we made from some of the previous parts of the, of the hadith itself. So, the first part of the hadith relates to dhulm, ya ibadi. إِنِّي حَرَّمْتُ الظُّلْمَ عَلَى نَفْسِي وَجَعَلْتُهُ بَيْنَكُمْ مُحَرَّمًا فَلَا تَظَالَمُوا O my servants, I have made dhulm unlawful upon myself and I have made it and I have made it unlawful between you. So do not oppress one another. So this is the main uh, part of the hadith itself which speaks about dhulm and the shaykh went on to explain just in a very quick summarized way that there are three types of dhulm. The first and greatest type of dhulm is committing shirk with Allah Azawajal. This is the greatest dhulm because you are putting, dhulm is to put something in other than its proper place. And so when you give worship to others besides Allah Azawajal, you are putting that worship in the wrong place. It is dhulm, it is oppression for you to put that worship and give it to others besides Allah. When Allah is the one who created you, when he provided for you, when he sustains you, when he gives you drink and food and clothing and all of the other benefits and favors, all of which come to you by way of the ways and means which he created in this creation and he put in this creation from, from the asbab, the ways and means, the sun and the rain and the clouds and you know, whatever else by all these means which he put in place and that rizq, it comes to you by way of these ways and means and causes and effects. So how can you then give worship which is due to him and give it to other than Allah? So this is the greatest dhulm. Then there is dhulm which a person commits wherein he is sinful and disobedient. And so basically he wrongs his own soul. He harms his own soul by disobeying Allah Azawajal. And for such a person, this person, if he makes tawbah, if he repents, if he seeks forgiveness, then he will be forgiven uh, you know, by Allah's mercy and by Allah's uh, forgiveness. 
And the third type of zulm is the zulm when a person violates the rights of other people. When you harm someone else, when you oppress them in their wealth, in their person, in their body, in their uh, honor, for example. And so you have now violated the right of someone else. You've harmed yourself. You've wronged your own soul by this sin. And you've harmed someone else. And so this type of zulm is very, very tremendous, very mighty, very grave, very serious. And there are severe warnings in uh, the sunnah for the likes of this type of zulm. And so this was the essence of what we discussed in the first segment. And then the second segment, Ya ibadi kullukum dal illa man ahdikum. O my servants, all of you are astray, except the one whom I guide. So seek guidance from me, and I shall, I shall guide you. So in this particular, uh, in relation to this particular statement, there were numerous issues that were discussed, and from those important affairs was that the base rule concerning humanity, what is the base rule? The base rule is that we are born, or that as 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 you know, as uh, as humanity, the trait and the characteristic is that we are ignorant, we are upon jahl, and we are prone to zulm, to commit zulm, right? So the asal of humanity is al jahl wa zulm, and this is what the scholars have explained, and that a person has to raise ignorance from himself, and that's through knowledge of what has been revealed. And a person has to, you know, be abad by justice, by way of his, you know, action and his behavior and be truthful and so on and so forth. The reason why this issue is important and this, this topic was highlighted in relation to this particular sentence is because a number of reasons. First of all, because um, the affair is different to how it used to be in the time of the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu in the time of the messenger and the sahaba, then we could assume, and it was assumed, that everyone was truthful. Everyone was truthful, and everyone was honest. And also because there were no innovations, there was no misguidance. And so therefore, in the acceptance of people's reports, in people's narrations, and just generally in terms of a person's religiosity, then you could assume that people were upright upon the truth. However, whatever Allah decreed to happen upon this ummah that took place of splitting, starting from the assassination of Uthman radiallahu ta'ala anhu, this is the, fitna in, the first fitna in Islam. And so this splitting will you know, continue thereafter and then people uh, began to fall into these innovations and they began to... Um, also fall into misunderstanding shubuhat about the Quran and about the Sunnah because when these innovations appeared then people wanted to support these innovations and so therefore they would use shubuhat from uh, you know with respect to the Quran and with respect to the Sunnah as evidence and likewise there were people who appeared who were prepared to lie in order to you know fabricate a hadith to support particular innovations or particular you know, uh, points of view. And so therefore the asal, the foundation, uh, uh, when, when these affairs took place, then it could no longer be assumed 
that a person is automatically, you know, that he is upon truthfulness and that he is upon the sunnah. And for that reason, various terms and labels began to be used, first of all, by the Sahaba who were, who were alive in that time, uh, Ahlul Sunnah. Right, the, the, the people of the Sunnah that we take the narrations of the people of the Sunnah, and as for others, then you know we, we you know the ones whom we know to be upon the Sunnah, we take the narrations, and then Ahlu Sunnati wal Jama'ah, the people of the Jama'ah, to distinguish the people of truth from the Khawarij and the Rafida, because the Khawarij and the Rafida were a revolution against the Sahaba, they split away from the Khulafa, from the, from the rulers. And so the, 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 the label Ahl Wal Jama'ah began to be used to distinguish the people of truth upon uprightness, upon the sound creed from those besides them. And then shortly afterwards or in that same time, the innovations of the Murji'ah, the innovations of the Qadariyah, the innovations of the Jahmiyyah and the Mu'tazila, all of these appeared at the end of the first century and the beginning of the second century. And then you start seeing from the, from the Tabi'een like Imam al-Zuhri and other than them, they say that they speak of the necessity of adhering to the way of the Salaf, sticking to the way of the Salaf, the understanding of the Salaf. And so from that time, from the, the time of the, of, 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 of the Salaf, when the truth uh, was there and was strong, from that time, these innovations never disappeared, they remained. Other innovations came, uh, the use of ilmul kalam, philosophy, Sufism, and this continued in the Ummah right up until this day of ours, when in the 20th century we have all of these political jama'at and these jama'at which appeared in order to push uh, like jama'atul tabligh, which are focused on, you know, on, on the Maturidi creed and the Hanafi madhab and, you know, cementing the splits which already occurred many, many centuries earlier. And so this splitting has never ceased to uh, remain with, within the Muslim nation. And for that person, this is why this issue is very, very important. Do we assume everybody's upon the sunnah? Do we, do we assume that everyone is automatically truthful just because he's a Muslim? Does Islam, when a person becomes a Muslim or because he has Islam, does that confer upon him the quality of truthfulness, being truthful? The answer is no, it doesn't, right? So these issues are important because there are many, many shubuhat which are spread uh, by which people are trying to accommodate falsehood and the people of falsehood. So this issue of everyone is misguided except the one whom Allah guides. So seek guidance from, from me as we see in the hadith and I shall guide you. So given what we know from history, and the splitting of the Muslim nation, then basically our, the, the position is that we only describe a person to be a person of the Sunnah when we know and have evidence that he's a person of the Sunnah. You can't just assume that all everyone in the Muslim nation is upon the truth or the majority of the people are upon the truth. This is not correct. This is opposed to many, many texts in the, in the Quran and in the Sunnah and also from factual reality, what we know as a matter of fact, what we know of the presence uh, in, in, in the Muslim nation of the Khawarij, of the Rafida, of the Sufiya, of the Mu'tazila, of the Jahmiya, and of the modernists, the, the, you know, in our time, the modernists, the liberalists, the secularists, all of, the, all of pe these people they ascribe to Islam. They claim they are Muslim. 
and you know all the various political jama'at, the ikhwan and whatever else, how can you say that the asl, the foundation is that we treat everyone to be a Sunni? No. We only declare someone to be a person of the Sunnah when we have evidence that he is a person of the Sunnah in his expression of belief, in his statements, in his actions, in his worship, in, in these kind of affairs. Likewise, the other way around, and a separate issue is that with respect to the average general Muslim, everybody else, we assume him to have salama from fisq. What does this mean? It means that you can't just come and say, any Muslim that comes across, you can't just accuse him of being a major sinner. You can't say this man is a you know, thief or a liar or whatever else. Right? So the asal with respect to Muslims in terms of their religiosity, in terms of their diyana, in terms of their how they are, how they are their, their worship and their religiosity. Right? The foundation is that a person is innocent. He, is, he has salama from fisq. Right? So this now applies to every Muslim. Any Muslim you come across, then you assume, assume him to be innocent of fisq, of you know, apparent fisq. That which you can see. He's innocent of that. And you can't just accuse him without any you know, evidence or whatever else. So we treat that person to, be, uh, to have salama on account of fisq. And as for, so this is about the religiosity aspect of it. Right? This applies to every Muslim. As for describing a person to be a mubtadi', an innovator, then this has a matter of tafsil to it, a matter of detail to it, right? So as you know, we know that not everybody is upon the sunnah. So what the scholars, in fact, the, the, uh, I'll keep this uh, brief just by mentioning uh, a tafsil of Shaykh Ubaid, which is very nice and very good. So basically the Shaykh says that some of the scholars, they've distinguished between the word mubtadi' and the word sahibul bid'ah, or even ahlul bid'ah. Right, so when we use the word mubtadi' an innovator, then we apply this to the people who are the heads and the leaders of the groups of innovation, who are callers to innovation. Clearly, they are people who they are people who are innovating into the religion, right? So we can clearly say about them that they are mubtadi'ah, like the heads of ikhwan, the heads of tabligh, the heads and whatever else, right, and so on and so forth. And as for the general people who happen to be upon that particular bid'ah. We simply describe them as being people who are upon that bid'ah. So we say, sahibul bid'ah. Sahibul bid'ah. Or they are ahlul bid'ah in the sense that they are traversing upon innovation. Because clearly they are. They are clearly they are upon innovations in belief, in worship, in methodology. So, uh, so therefore, we describe them with the realities which are present with them. Right? So they are either ahlul bid'ah or mubtadi'ah. And we do not say, as people say today, that no, we assume everybody to be upon sound belief. This is false. Rather, we say we, we assume everybody to be free from fisq and innocent of fisq. Right? This is correct. But as for when it comes to the affairs of, you know, bid'ah, whatever else, then we have to describe people in accordance with realities. Right? And we can't assume everybody is automatically upon the sunnah unless we have evidence that they are upon the sunnah, right? So, and then the other issue is, can we assume everybody is truthful? And the answer is no, because truthfulness 
is a description which is additional to Islam. Right? Islam does not automatically make you earn the quality of having truthfulness. Right? So a person who becomes a Muslim, has that made him now automatically to be sadiq, truthful in everything? No. So as the scholars explain, truthfulness and adala, which means being trustworthy in reporting and being absent of fisk, right? Major, major fisk, major sins. This is something which has to be earned. It is a quality which is earned. It is a quality which is additional to Islam. So therefore, we cannot say that every Muslim is automatically, he has adala. He has uprightness and trustworthiness. Rather, this is a quality which is additional for which we must have evidence, right? And this is what the foundation of Ilmul Hadith and what the scholars, the people of Hadith, what they did is built upon these realities. That's why the scholars would say so-and-so is thiqa, he's trustworthy, so-and-so is a kadhab, so-and-so is a wadda' a fabricator, right? They had to make these, these disparagements upon the narrators. And this shows that it is false to claim that the foundation that we work upon with respect to everybody is that they are upright and truthful and upon the sound creed. No. Yeah. So all of those issues we alluded to them in our discussion of that second uh, point. The third point and the fourth point re relate to the rububiyah of Allah Azza wa Jal. O my servants, all of you are hungry except the one whom I feed. So seek provision from me, ask provision from me and I shall feed you. All my servants, all of you are naked except the one whom I clothe. So seek ask, uh, clothing from me and I shall clothe you. So these two affairs, food and clothing, they are an indication of the rububiyah of Allah Azza wa Jal. Everything that we eat, that we drink, that we wear, of clothing, apparel, for beautification, for protection, whatever else, all of these affairs are brought to us by way of the qudra of Allah Azza wa Jal. The qudra that we see when we reflect in the creation around us, what do we see? How does clothing come to us? How does food come, come to us? How does drink come to us? This is from the, you know, the, the, the interconnected causes and effects, the system that we see that Allah has put around us, by which all these affairs, you know, uh, uh, that, that we extract these affairs from within Allah's creation. So this indicates Allah's rububiyyah on the one hand, and also it leads us into uluhiyya because Allah is asking us to make dua to him. Right? So he says, first, uh, um, ask, make dua to me and ask for food. And likewise, فَاسْتَقْسُونِي ask for, ask for clothing from me. This now is ibadah. So these two uh, affairs, collectively they refer to, collectively they refer to Allah's rububiyyah and the connection of uluhiyya to that in the sense that we, are, that we are commanded to ask Allah for these things and that is from worship. And then the sixth thing that we touched upon or the fifth and the sixth thing that we touched upon is, or the fifth thing, sorry, is in relation to sins. O my servants, innakum tukhti'una bilayli wan nahar. O my servants, you sin by day and by night and I forgive all sins. So seek forgiveness from me. So again, we see that Allah is Al-Ghafar, Al-Ghafur, Al-Rahman, Al-Rahim, and all the other names that mention, uh, that relate to Allah's forgiveness and mercy. And this hadith is encouraging us to seek forgiveness for our sins. Allah is most merciful. And the sixth point that we covered in the last lesson, O oh my servants, you will never be able to reach harm, or reach me with harm. 
such that you harm me. And nor shall you ever be able to reach me with a benefit, such that you benefit me. And this point we covered in the previous lesson in some detail. And from the main points coming out of that was that Allah is not in need of the ibadah of anybody. And nor does the harm of anybody or the disbelief of anybody or the shirk of anybody harm Allah in anything. And so in the course of the discussion of this point, we addressed a shubha, a misconception that is often raised uh, from atheists and other people like that. They say, well, you know, uh, why does Allah need worship? He must be a needy God if he needs you to worship him. And so basically this, this part of the hadith is a re refutation of that. And we explained and we said that Allah is not in need of the ibadah of anybody. Rather that ibadah benefits only the servants. It is for our own benefit. And when we reflect upon the various ibadat, the salah, the sawm, the zakah, the hajj, and all of the other acts of ibadah, the greatest obligations, being righteous and dutiful to the parents, being righteous to the neighbor, removing something harmful from the flaw, from the, from the affairs of good deeds. Every single act of ibadah, the benefit of that comes back upon the ibad, upon the servants themselves. Allah does not gain anything from any of that ibadah. He's not, he's not in need of our ibadah. Rather, all of the benefits of that return back to the servants. And this is from the wisdom and the mercy of Allah upon his servants in that he legislates for them that which is for their benefit and for, you know, for, for the benefit in this life and the next. So this was what we, what we covered in the previous lesson. All the remains is only a short few pages, which is why uh, I decided to you know, recap what we had done before. So starting from where we left off then, part number seven or segment number seven in the hadith is the statement Ya ibadi law anna awwalakum wa akhirakum wa insakum wa jinnakum kanu ala atqa qalbi rajulin 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 wahidin minkum ma zada dhalika fi mulki shay'a so he said O oh my servants if the first of you and the last of you the men among you and the jinn amongst you so this now is from Adam السلام, to the very last man. And from the first of the jinn to the very last of them. If all of you were upon, if all of you were upon the, 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 the piety of the heart or, or upon the, the, the most pious man amongst you, if you had the heart or the piety of the most pious man amongst you, then this would not increase anything in my dominion. Would not increase anything in my dominion. And so the Shaykh comments upon this and he says that since the time of Allah created al-Bashar wal-Jinn, Jinn and men, in their billions and their millions and their multiple millions, all of those, if you think of all of those and put them together, if all of them were to worship Allah, in the night and the day and they were to obey him without disobeying him at all in anything in anything at all then this would not increase in the dominion of Allah even an atom 
It wouldn't increase in what Allah owns. Even an atom wouldn't you know, come about and, and increase in the dominion of Allah if everyone was upon was the most pious. Was upon the most pious. Meaning that if everyone was like Muhammad and Ibrahim and Musa and Isa and Nuh they're the you know the the ulil azm min al rusul the 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 most um, steadfast of the of the messengers and the most pious the most righteous if every person was like them it would not increase in the dominion of Allah even a single atom and this indicates that Allah azawajal is free of all need and all of the legislations which he has commanded, then it is only for the perfection of his servants. Allah is already perfect. He is perfect in his names. He is perfect in his attributes. Right? So the legislation which he has legislated is not for his perfection. So really this, this part of the hadith is really an, an, an uh, uh, emphasis and an explanation of the previous part that we discussed in, in, in the last time. Wherein... No harm and benefit can reach Allah from his servants. Right? No, nothing, you won't benefit Allah by your worship. Nor will you harm Allah or decrease anything in his dominion if you, were, if, if, you, if you disobeyed him or were an enemy to him. It wouldn't decrease Allah in anything. It wouldn't harm him in anything, in fact. So that related to benefit and harm. This now, this part of the hadith is speaking about increase in Allah's dominion and decrease in Allah's dominion. dominion. So, um, the benefit of whatever Allah has legislated of the ibadat and the takalif, the acts of worship and the, you know, the religious obligations and the duties, all of that, وَإِنَّمَا يَعُودُ نَفْعُ ذَلِكَ لِلْمُطِعِينَ It returns back only to those who are obedient. And the harm and the evil only returns back to those who are disobedient. And then the next part which is related to this, a part of the hadith, Ya ibadi, law anna awwalakum wa akhirakum wa insakum wa jinnakum kanu ala afjari qalbi rajulin wa rajulin wahidin minkum ma naqasa thalika min mulki shay'a. O my servants, if the first of you and the last of you and the men among you and the jinn among you were upon the, were upon the likes of what the most sinful and the most evil man among you, the man with the most evil heart and the sinful heart, if you were like that, all of you, then this would not decrease my dominion in anything. So in other words, if all of the people, since the time that they were created, up until the establishment of the hour, every single one from the men and from the jinn were upon the way of Iblis because Iblis is from the Afjar he's from the most vile and the sinful of the creation of Allah he is the most the, the, the Afjar the, the most vile and the most sinful if everyone was upon th that evil what Iblis was upon because he's behind every single evil all of the Kufr all of the Shirk all of the the Ma'asiyah and all of the you know things, the sins and whatever else, if every single person was upon the qalb of Iblis, was upon the heart of Iblis, who is the khabith, the enemy of Allah, then, 
an enemy of Allah to his books, to his messengers, and so on and so forth. And, and they all reached the, the extremity of sinfulness and vileness, which is the vileness of Iblis. Then they would not decrease in the dominion of Allah, even an atom. It wouldn't be reduced in Allah's kingdom, in Allah's creation. And why? Because he is, as the Shaykh says, he's Al Qawi, Al Aziz, Al Ghani. You know, he, he, he is the strong, the powerful. He is Al Aziz, the mighty. He is Al Ghani, the one who is free of any need. The acts of obedience do not benefit him, as we said. And the acts of disobedience do not harm him. And no other than, you know, acts which are other than that. Allah is lofty and exalted above than that he should be harmed by any of these acts of, of, acts of uh, uh, disobedience. So all of this, why are all of these things mentioned here about the harm and the benefit not reaching Allah about nothing being increased in his kingdom, nothing being decreased in his kingdom if the people were most righteous or most sinful. The reason is, is to highlight to the Muslim, to show to the Muslim that he is Al-Faqir ilallahi ta'ala. He is the one who is most in need. He is the one who is in poverty. He is the one who is in poverty. The servant, the Abd of Allah. He is the, he's, he's, uh, he's poor. He's destitute. He's in need of Allah Azawajal. And Allah Azawajal is not in need of anything. And this is a refutation of certain groups of people who revile Allah Azawajal. They say that Allah Azawajal, he is, you know, as some of the, as is said by the Yahud, that Allah Azawajal, his hands are tied, meaning that he is stingy, that he doesn't spend. This is from the greatest of kathib, the greatest lie. You don't, do not need to have any intelligence to know that this is a lie. You just need to have basic observation to know this is a lie. The fact that every person upon this ard and every creature upon this ard is sustained by Allah he spends upon them day and night whether they are disbelievers whether they are mushrikun whether they are atheists whatever they are they deny his deny him or they abuse him and revile him by worshipping others besides Allah or attributing a son to him and whatever and yet he spends day and night even though that decreases nothing from his kingdom in terms of food and drink and benefits and whatever else that the people uh, receive without any prejudice. You see that there will be a Muslim, a believer, who will be in poverty. He will be in poverty. And you will see a disbeliever, a mushrik with the greatest of riches. This is because the rububiyah of Allah, his rububiyah, his lordship, it encompasses all of his creation. That's why the disbeliever will be given plenty and, and, and sometimes a believer will be restricted in his provision. But this is from the wisdom of Allah because he enlarges and restricts the provision to whomever he wills and this is on account of wisdoms. For the believer it is for a test and a, a trial to inculcate iman in the believer to make him strong, to make him develop tawakkul, to make him to be grateful for the little that he has and for the disbeliever it is to you know because he's he's disbelieved then enjoy you know uh, this is just a pastime for you 
It doesn't decrease in my kingdom anything that you know that you are showered with, you know, whatever else. Right? So all of these are, are the wisdoms of Allah Zawajal in uh, making strong his servants and caring not for those who disbelieve in you know in him because the dunya itself is worth nothing to Allah Zawajal. So therefore the fact that a disbeliever is given from its riches and its you know glitter and whatever else it doesn't decrease Allah Zawajal in anything. So all of this, as the Shaykh is explaining, the, these parts of the hadith that we are reading, they are there so that a Muslim knows that he is the one who is al-faqir. You are the one who is in need of Allah Azawajal. And so this means that you uh, have tawakkul, that you develop uh, the reliance upon Allah Azawajal because you are muhtaj, you are the one who is in need, and that Allah is not in need. And then we see in the statement of Allah Azawajal, Surah Al-Isra وَقُلِ الْحَمْدُ لِلَّهِ الَّذِي لَمْ يَتَّخِذْ وَلَدًا وَلَمْ يَكُنْ لَهُ شَرِيكٌ فِي الْمُلْكِ وَلَمْ يَكُنْ لَهُ وَلِيٌّ مِّنَ الظُّلِّ وَكَبِّرْهُ تَكْبِيرًا So say all praises due to Allah, the one who did not take a son. He's not in need of a son. He did not take a son. And nor does he have any sharik. doesn't have any partner. He doesn't have a sharik in his rububiyyah to help him in running the creation. He doesn't have a sharik in his uluhiyya, one that is worshipped alongside him. He doesn't have a sharik in his names and his attributes, in the perfection of his names and attributes. No one shares with him in that. Right? So, there's no, so he doesn't have a son, nor does he have a partner in any of these affairs, in his rububiyya, uluhiyya, asma wa sifat. And nor does he have a wali, min uh, al And uh, this means that uh, you know, he doesn't need an aider or an helper or a supporter to help him because of some deficiency or lowliness or whatever else. He doesn't need uh, th- th- that type of thing, uh, a wali of, 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 of that nature. وَكَبِّرْهُ takbira, And it finishes by commanding that we make takbir of Allah وَكَبِّرْهُ takbira, So we glorify him, declare him to be great in his rububiyyah, in his uluhiyyah, in his asma'i wa sifat. So this is Allah Azawajal. He's not in need, and he's not in need of, as the Shaykh says, wala yahtaju ila ibadat, wala ta'at. He's not in need of acts of worship, nor is he in need of acts, acts of obedience, nor do acts of disobedience harm him, nor do sins harm him. And nor is he in need of any zahir or nasir, an aider or a helper, or one who will help him in running the affairs of the heavens and the earth, Allah is lofty and exalted above and beyond all of that. So this means what, this, what these statements that we are reading in this hadith, what they are leading us, they are leading us to hold a true and just estimation of Allah They are leading us to have an, the true, factual, honest, just estimation of Allah. Right? So this is indicated in the hadith, uh, in, in the statement of Allah in Surah Zumar, uh, Surah 39, towards the end, verse number 67. وَمَا قَدَرُ اللَّهَ حَقَّ قَدْرِهِ وَالْأَرْضُ جَمِيعًا قَبْضَتُهُ يَوْمَ الْقِيَامَةِ وَالسَّمَاوَاتُ مَطْوِيَاتٌ بِيَمِينِهِ سُبْحَانَهُ وَتَعَالَى عَمَّا يُشْرِكُونَ In this verse, Allah he says, they have not made a just estimation of Allah, as he truly should be estimated. 
So meaning that those who are from the disbelievers, from the mushrikun, from the nasara, and other than them from the Yahud, who tell lies upon Allah Azawajal, and who attribute the deficiencies of humans to Allah Azawajal, and other than them from the mushri, from, from the various types of mushrikun, they have not made a true and just estimation of Allah Azawajal. In other words, that what they believe about Allah Azawajal, it is false, it is not true, it is not just. It is not a true and just estimation of Allah. Is it a just estimation of Allah that he has a son? Is it a just estimation of Allah that he is stingy and greedy? Now, this is batil, this is false. All of these things and you know things of their nature which is similar to them, which are invented and which exist only in the minds of people and which have no truth in actual reality, all of these are, they are false estimations, they are wrong estimations of Allah Azawajal. Rather, uh, the true and just estimation of Allah is what we know from his names, from his attributes, from the manifestations of his rububiyyah that we see all around us. All of this, what the Quran is pointing us to and what this hadith is directing us to, this is the true and just estimation of Allah Azawajal. And so, uh, the, leading on to the, the rest of the ayah, uh, so they have not made any true just estimation of Allah as he, as he should be estimated. And the earth, all of the earth will be in his grasp on the day of judgment. And the heavens will be rolled up in his right hand. Exalt or glorified is he and exalted is he from that which they associate with him. So, in other words, what we are reading in this Hadith Qudsi and what we are being informed of with respect to Allah being the one who feeds, the one who gives to drink, the one who clothes, the one who forgives sins, the one who cannot be reached with any benefit, the one who cannot be reached with any harm, the one whose kingdom cannot be diminished by an atom and nor can it be increased by an atom. All of this is leading us to make a just estimation of Allah and to venerate and to glorify Allah in our hearts, to make ta'zeem of Allah Azawajal. So, uh, this is, uh, you know, it is something that the Shaykh says that we are unable to explain and express to what degree Allah Azawajal is not in need, to what degree that He is Al Ghani. We are unable, in our words, to express the degree and the extent to which Allah is free of need and the extent to which his, is his greatness and nor are we able to express in words the you know the, the, the true the, the extent of the meanings of his of his attributes and the sheikh says that the, the tongue al-lisan the tongue and the, the, the imagination they are incapable of doing that however we express and we speak in accordance with what we are able to from what Allah has informed us of his names and attributes and what we are able to understand of their meanings even though that in itself as the Sheikh is explaining is still not enough to express the degree of Allah's perfection and the extent to which he is free of any need in other words what the Sheikh is saying that <clears throat> alongside all the knowledge that Allah has given to us of himself by way of his names and attributes that we know of, you know, that uh, Al-Qadir, Al-Qawi, Al-Ghani, and so on and so forth, and the meanings that we understand, and we try to, we express, then even that is not enough 
to be able to express the degree to which Allah is al-ghani for example free of any need so this brings an end to the discussion of parts 7 8 and uh, 6 7 and 8 in the in the hadith this moves us to the last two parts of the hadith and so ya uh, ibadi o my servants law anna awwalakum wa akhirakum wa insakum wa jinnakum O oh, my servants, if the first of you and the last of you and the jinn among you and the, 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 the men among you, qamu fi sa'idin wahid, you all stood together in a single plane. So imagine every single human ever born and every single jinn ever existed. You all stood in one single huge open plane. You stood together. And fasa'aluni. Uh, and then they all asked me. فَأَعْطَيْتُ كُلَّ إِنسَانٍ مَسْأَلَتَهُ And I gave to every person whatever he asked مَا نَقَصَ ذَلِكَ مِمَّا عِنْدِي إِلَّا كَمَا يَنْقُصُ الْمِخْيَطِ إِذَا أُدْخِلَ الْبَحْرِ And I gave to everyone whatever he asked that would not decrease <coughs> with what is with me <coughs> that would not decrease what is with me Except like when you put something in the ocean, <coughs> when, you, when you put something in the ocean, like, you know, uh, uh, like a needle, and you take it out, and you see what remains with that needle with, of water. Maybe it's just a tiny little speck of water which turns into a drop and it falls, you know, back into the ocean, right? So that, it wouldn't decrease anything in Allah's kingdom. If he was to give every jinn, every man, whatever they basically asked for. <coughs> and then the hadith continues, Ya ibadi, O my servants, innama a'malukum lakum. It is only your actions, it is only your actions which I enumerate for you. Thumma iyaha. And then I shall recompense you for them. That's all it is in this life. It is just simply your actions and you will be recompensed for them. فَمَنْ وَجَدَ خَيْرًا فَلْيَحْمَدِ اللَّهِ Whoever found good, let him praise Allah. وَمَنْ وَجَدَ غَيْرَ ذَلِكَ فَلَا يَلُومَنَّ إِلَّا نَفْسَهِ And whoever found other than that, then let him blame except himself. So the Shaykh now explains what is this last part of the hadith, what, it, what is it directing us to? It is directing us to action. Al-amal. It is directing us to work deeds, to strive upon deeds. We, we work righteous deeds until we find the reward for these deeds present with Allah Azza wa Jal. Allah Azza wa Jal, He said in the Quran, وَمَا تُقَدِّمُوا لِأَنفُسِكُمْ مِنْ خَيْرٍ تَجِدُوهُ عِنْدَ اللَّهِ You will find it with Allah, with Allah. Indeed, Allah is, has knowledge of that which you do. So, no deed will ever decrease. No deed will ever decrease. Rather, everything, every righteous deed that you do will increase multiple fold and you will find it with Allah on Yawm Al-Qiyamah. Look at this hadith which speaks about charity. لا يتصدق لا يتصدق أحد بِتَمْرَةٍ مِنْ كَسْبٍ طَيِّبٍ إِلَّا أَخَذَهَ اللَّهُ بِيَمِينِهِ فَيُرَبِّيهَا 
not one of you gives in charity the date which he's earned from his good wholesome earning except that Allah takes it with his right hand and then he nurtures it just like one of you he takes a foal or a young sheep a young camel so when, when there's a, a new camel that is born or a young foal that is that is born then you nurture it and it grows and it develops into a full camel or a full you know like a, a full-grown animal then Allah likewise he takes your deed of charity and he makes it to grow and grow up until until it becomes like the likes of a, a mountain or even greater than that so meaning look at this that al-amal al-amal salih righteous deed that you do Allah he takes it and he makes it to grow until you find it with him on yawmul qiyamah the likes of mountains the likes of mountains and so the shaykh says al-hasana the small righteous deed it multiplies and multiplies and multiplies up until it becomes the likes of a mighty mountain and so the date for example or a portion of bread or any charity that you give when you are sincere this is when you are sincere it is the sincerity behind the action which makes this deed to grow multiple times Allah Zawajal, he makes it to grow and you will receive the reward from Allah Zawajal, you know a reward which no eye has seen no ear has heard and which has not occurred to the imagination or to the heart of any single man and then Sheikh mentions a beautiful hadith uh, uh, which uh, uh, in the hadith Musa alayhi salam he asked his Lord what is the least station that a person can have from the people of paradise you know what is the what, which person of paradise what is the least station that a person can have in the station in, in paradise so he said who are it is a man who comes after all the people of paradise have been entered into paradise and it is said to him enter paradise so this man will say ay rabb oh my lord how can how can it be when all the people have already entered into their places and they've taken whatever they have taken and it will be said to him does it please you that you will have the likes of the kingdom of a king from the kings of the world would you like this much and he will say i will be pleased with that oh my lord so then he will say to him you will have that and it's like five times he said and it's like and it's like and it's like and it's like and on the fifth time when when it was said the fifth time he said the man re responds and he says i am pleased oh my lord and then it will be said to him in response so all of this is for you and then it will be tenfold on top of all of this what i've just, what I've just given you and so this is a hadith reported uh, by uh, by Imam Muslim in, in his Sahih from Al-Mughira bin Al-Mughira. And likewise, uh, we have also a hadith from, uh, in, uh, this is uh, reported by Al-Bukhari, that indeed in paradise there is there will be tents made of hollow, hollowed out pearls whose 
width is 60 miles, 60 miles. And, you know, 60 miles, this is bigger than the, the city of, of London, which is only maybe 25 miles across. It's 60 miles. Think of the, the size of this, of, the, of this hollowed out pearl, which forms like the residence. And in every part of it, in every, in, any, in every part of it, the person will have family. And each of that family will not see the other, other family. And the believer will visit you know, these families that he has. And there will be gardens whose vessels will be made of silver. And likewise, gardens made of such and such. And the vessels will be made of such and such. And there will be nothing between the people and between them looking at their Lord except the cloak, the cloak of pride, which is on the face of Allah, uh, on his face in the garden of Adan, in the garden of, you know, of, of paradise. So this again is another hadith. The Sheikh is mentioning these hadith to indicate the tremendous amount of reward for a believer who meets Allah with deeds which he did in the life of this world. Small, easy deeds which become multiplied and they turn into the likes of these affairs that you see being mentioned in these, in these ahadith. And so things, if imagine this, for, imagine this is for the least person in paradise, then what about the prophets, the righteous, the shuhada, the martyrs, the siddiqeen, the shuhada, the martyrs, the salihin, and other than them? Right? Allah has provided for them what the eye has not seen, what the ear has not heard, or what has not occurred to the heart of any man. So, وَفِي ذَلِكَ فَلْيَتَنَافَسِ الْمُتَنَافِسُونَ As Allah says in the Quran, so for this, let those who compete, let them compete for the likes of this. So, the Shaykh says, compete in knowledge and acts of obedience, in doing righteous deeds, for indeed Allah he is kareem, he is jawad, he is generous and magnanimous. He gives upon a very small action, he gives a tremendous mighty amount of reward. A small deed becomes the likes of mountains. So therefore increase in performing these actions and be sincere to Allah Azza wa Jal. So then we see at the end of the hadith, فَمَنْ وَجَدَ خَيْرًا فَلْيَحْمَدِ اللَّهِ Whoever finds good, let him praise Allah. The believer, he praises Allah Azawajal. And for the for the for the righteous, you know, for, for the reward. And that's why on Yawmul Qiyamah it will be said, Waqalu alhamdulillahi hadana lihada, wama kunna linahtadiya lawla an hadan Allah. All praises due to Allah. The believers will say, All praise you to Allah who guided us to this, meaning when they're in paradise, this is what they will say. Who guided us to this? And we would never have been able to guide had it not been for the to be guided had it not been for the guidance of Allah. And likewise, وَقَالُوا الْحَمْدُ لِلَّهِ الَّذِي صَدَقَنَا وَعْدَهُ وَأَوْرَثَنَا الْعَرْضَ نَتَبَوَّأُ مِنَ الْجَنَّةِ مِنَ الْجَنَّةِ نَتَبَوَّأُ مِنَ الْجَنَّةِ حَيْثُ نَشَاءُ فَنِعْمَ عَجْرُ الْعَامِلِينَ All praise is due to Allah who has been truthful to His promise. And who has made us to inherit the earth wherein we take up residence in paradise wherever we wish. And how excellent is the reward for ni'ma ajrul amilin. How excellent is the reward of those who act, who do, who work, who do who work righteous deeds. So we see here that Allah 
has promised them, fulfills his promise on Yawmul Qiyamah. And we see that in the hadith and in the ayat and many descriptions, uh, the Shaykh mentions the ayat in the Quran in Surah Muhammad about the rivers of uh, you know, water whose taste is not changed, the rivers of wine, the rivers of asal, you know, the, the, the pure honey, the rivers of milk, all these things that you see which are described in the Quran and the Sunnah, and you see there are fortresses and palaces, and there are certain types of clothing, certain types of food, certain types of spouses, and so on and so forth. All of this is, uh, you know, it is, it is a reward for the people of paradise, which is tremendous. So whoever sent forth actions in this life, that is what he will find in that life. And as for the one, so the one who finds that on Yom Al-Qiyamah, he will praise, uh, you know, he will, he, he will praise Allah. Right, for, 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 so as we see in the, in, in the hadith, that for فَمَنْ وَجَدَ خَيْرًا فَلْيَحْمَدِ As you see in these ayat, what will the believers do? They will praise Allah on Yom Al-Qiyamah, in paradise. So the one who found good, then he will praise Allah. Right, so this, the ayat are an explanation of the hadith. And then we see on the other hand, Whoever found other than this, let him not blame except himself. What does this mean? This means that the one who does not found, did not find goodness. Rather he found evil. He found retribution. He found punishment. He found humiliation. Right? Instead of a jannah, he found jahim. Right? The hellfire. Then, all of this, who is he going to blame? He cannot blame except his own self. And this is why on Yawm Al-Qiyamah, even Shaitan, he will free himself from the kufr and shirk of every single individual. He will free himself from them. He will say, look, all I did was just to call you. You are the ones who responded. And I'm free from, you know, from your shirk and whatever else. As Allah Zawajal, he says, and this occurs at the end of Surah Ibrahim, towards the end. وَقَالَ الشَّيْطَانِ Shaitan will say, لَمَّا قُضِيَ الْأَمْرِ When the affair is finished and decided, he will say, إِنَّ اللَّهَ وَعَدَكُمْ وَعْدَ الْحَقِّ Indeed, Allah promised you with a truthful promise. وَوَعَدْتُكُمْ And I promise you too. فَأَخْلَفْتُكُمْ But I did not, I, I, I fell back on my promise. وَمَا كَانَ لِي عَلَيْكُمْ مِنْ سُلْطَانِ إِلَّا أَنْ دَعَوْتُكُمْ فَاسْتَجَبْتُمْ لِي I had no authority except to invite you. Right? So Iblis, Shaitan, the only authority he had, the only power and ability he had was to simply to invite you. He didn't force you to do anything. He just invited you. Uh, so then he says, فَلَا تَلُومُونِي وَلُومُوا أَنفُسَكُمْ do not, do not blame me. Do not censor me now. Blame yourselves. And I do not, I'm not able to help you. مَا أَنَا بِمُسْرِخِكُمْ وَمَا أَنْتُمْ بِمُسْرِخِي I am not able to help you now, now that you're going to help, go to hellfire. And nor are you going to be able to help me because he himself is going to go into hellfire as well. He knows. And then he says, uh, and then he continues, إِنِّي كَفَرْتُ إِنِّي كَفَرْتُ بِمَا أَشْرَقْتُ مُونِ مِنْ قَبْلِ I now disbelieve in, you know, how you made me a partner before that. 
Indeed, the wrongdoers will have a painful punishment. So look at this. Look at this. How Iblis will free himself. He will deny any responsibility except for being a caller. And he will say, you, I cannot help you, nor can you help me. Right? So now what will happen after this is that every faction of disbelief and shirk and kufr who is from the Ashabul Jahim, from the people of the Hellfire, they will now start mutually cursing and reviling each other, invoking curses upon them and disbelieving in each other's disbelief. This is what will happen. And this reality is pointed to in the Quran. There are numerous passages in the Quran that speak about the people of hellfire engaging in their, in their debate and cursing and, and whatever else. This is a reality. So you see in, in Surah Al-Baqarah, verse 166, Allah says, What will happen is that those who were followed, they will free themselves from the followers. Right? So in every deen of kufr and every deen of shirk, you have the the uh, those who are followed and you have the ones which followed right so all of them will enter into hellfire so the ones who are followed the leaders they will try to free themselves from the burden of those who followed them they will free them they've got nothing to do with you and they will try to free themselves from those who were who from those who actually followed them and what will happen is that they will see the hellfire all means and ways and avenues now will be cut off from them. And we see in another ayah, This is now the followers. Rabbana, O our Lord, we obeyed our leaders and the great ones amongst us, and they led us astray. O our Lord, give them an increase, give them a double the reward. And curse them with a mighty curse. This now are the other followers. Right? They will invoke Allah for those who misled them to be increased in, uh, in, in, in punishment and to be cursed with a mighty, mighty curse. So as the Shaykh says, Right? They will mutually curse each other. They will dispute and argue with each other. And they will blame each other. However, all of this, what does the Hadith Qudsi say? Right? No one will be to blame except himself. All of this will avail him nothing. And the Shaykh says that the, the verses of the Quran, these verses of the Quran that we've, that we've, that we've read, they are an explanation of the hadith. Because sometimes the Quran can actually explain the hadith. Mostly the hadith explain the Quran, but the Quran can also explain the hadith. So this is where the Shaykh ends. And this actually brings us to the end of the explanation of the hadith itself. The Shaykh finishes by simply making a dua. We ask Allah Ta'ala to grant his firmness and yuthabitana wa iyakum ala deenihi to make his firm, established upon his deen. And he gives us success upon his obedience. 
that he keeps us far from the evil of shaitan and his plot and his you know his plot and his tricks indeed allah azawajal inna rabbana la samiu'ud du'a indeed our lord is the one who hears the du'a wa sallallahu ala nabiyyina muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa sallam so this brings us to an end of this great and mighty hadith and if you reflect upon this hadith and you know the benefit that we have taken from it you see that this hadith uh, uh, revolves around the tawheed of Allah and the manifestation of Allah's rububiyyah and it draws you and it invites you to to the uluhiyah of, uh, of Allah in the ways which are mentioned in the hadith to invoke him for one's food for one's drink for one's clothing for forgiveness whilst realizing that you are the one who is in need you are the one who is needy and Allah is in, not in need of anything you cannot bring him any harm bring him any benefit nor can you decrease his kingdom in anything or increase it and so the only thing for you is your actions and deeds you will find tremendous reward with Allah and if you do not the only person to blame is yourself so this is a tremendous mighty hadith which draws a person to the worship of Allah and makes him increase in his actions and his righteous deeds so we'll conclude that lesson there inshallah ta'ala and uh, we'll commence a new series on a another subject next time that we that we have the lesson alhamdulillah rabbil alamin wa sallallahu ala nabiyyina muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in